MotoGP races in and three wins by Yamaha. The first time that that has happened since 2010 when Valentino Rossi and Jorge Lorenzo between them won the first three Grand Prix of that year at Qatar, Jerez and Le Mans. But in 2021, Frenchman Fabio Quattararo, he has taken the gentleman's set in Portugal, 2021, of pole, fastest lap and the race win. And he now leads the MotoGP World Championship by 15 points. Very healthy indeed. The championship leader into the race was Johan Zarco, but he crashed out. Frenchman loses championship lead, Frenchman takes championship lead. Marc Marquez made his return to MotoGP after missing a whole season in 2020. He qualified sixth. He was in the top three on the first lap and eventually he finished seventh. It was an emotional return for him to realise that he can still do it. Particularly as though his arch-rival and nemesis, Valentino Rossi, qualified 17th and then crashed out. Toby Moody, Valentin Hurunchi, Simon Patterson here to discuss Portugal 2021 and what happened in the MotoGP race. And as always, we're going to start with what's the first thing that springs into your mind from this race? Valentin, I'm going to start with you this week. Shoot. Yeah, first thing that springs into my mind is that having been pretty certain that this was still going to be Marquez's championship to lose uh, even after the two Qatar races because of how nobody else was really taking control of the championship I think I might actually now be on the on the Quartararo train because this was a very very measured very impressive performance with a few caveats that we'll get to but from his from his side it was, it was brilliant I'm going to go next. So, Simon, you're at the back of the queue this week. You'll go to the front of the queue next week. My things that spring to mind after Portugal, uh, on that first lap, I thought Marquez was going to lead it. I just, I was shouting at the television going, he's going to lead this. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. But we since then learnt that he gave himself a bit of a talking to and said, well, the old Mark would have maybe fought a bit and maybe I would have binned it down the road. But the current clever Mark got me home in uh, in in the points. Uh, the other thing I'm going to take home is Quattararo's lap times, nearly as good as his qualifying on Sunday afternoon. Just stunning. Simon? I think uh, reigning champion Juan Mir is still in control of the series. I think he has limited the damage perfectly at the open of two races. He took a podium when no one expected it in Puerto Mao, and everything is going just the way he wants it. So, Yamaha take their third win of 2021, but over two racetracks, Qatar and Portugal. I know that's only two of the 18 tracks this year, but we've got to start to answer this question. Does that mean that they are now the real deal? They were the real deal last year, but that was the Patronus team. Now we're talking about the Works Monster Energy Yamaha team, the black and the blue ones. Um, Portugal last year, they were thirds in the race with Morbidelli. Uh, this year, Quattararo, two seconds quicker in the race than the race winner last November, Miguel Oliveira. Um, just quickly, I've pulled out some, some quotes that really stand out from, uh, from Quattararo after the race. I've grown mentally. I think it's only the beginning. I feel great on the bike, great with the team. I've not felt like this for a long time. It was an amazing pace that we had 
on the bike in the race. One of the strongest races I've ever done. When you do well, you can push the Japanese engineers to bring the best to the track. Uh, I had extra confidence with this tyre. Um, and then for the next race, we've seen Miguel struggle here in Portugal, so it's not a given that I do well in Jerez. Uh, he didn't half deserve to jump into the pool with his leathers on at the end, didn't he? I mean, this is a guy who is on top of the world on the points and mentally. He's he's another level already. Yeah, I've had I've had two main thoughts for, for after you know from Sunday to Monday. I guess the first one being that. If we go two years back and we tell ourselves that, oh, Fabio Quartararo is going to be a five-time MotoGP race winner by now, and also that John Muir is going to be a champion, it's just incredible how well that, that rookie class has turned out. Also, you know, Bagnaia and Oliveira aren't exactly chumps either. But my second thought is that as impressive as that Quartararo win was, I mean, God, Yamaha just, Yamaha makes its life really hard with those starts, and it makes its life so much harder than necessary. And there was a dash of both brilliance and good fortune to the fact that Quartararo was able to dominate in the end. If we look back at the at the race from, from the very start, so he goes back to sixth on the opening lap, and it's already a problem because then he he should get stuck behind Jack Miller. He should get stuck behind the Ducati with the start uh, with a straight line grunt, but Marquez runs into the rear tire of Jan Mir. He checks up. Uh, Miller checks up behind him, and that allows Quartararo to quickly gain two positions. Without that happening, and without the brilliant overtake that he pulled off on Zarco to get second place when Zarco was sort of caught out by the Rins move at turn 13, and Quartararo dived down the inside of 14 with Zarco not, not very much expecting and then still following sort of Rins ahead. Without those two moves, which were both opportunistic and maybe not entirely dependent on him, this would have been a much harder race. So to me, this says that still there's this fragility in Yamaha that they won't be able to recover from bad starts every race. And to, to look for proof of that, look at the other side of the garage. It's clear. This is a huge problem. This has to be priority number one because the speed is there. And that for me is why we, can say, we can't say that the factory Yamaha team are dominating the opening three races, despite the fact that they've won all three of them, because Maverick Vinales was an absolute disgrace in Sunday's race. Like the guy who won a race in such a dominant form at the first round of the championship shouldn't be last at the end of uh at the end of the the second or third lap, whatever it was, or second last. You know, it just shouldn't be. But he just can't start that bike. And yeah, fair enough, there's some issues with the bike. There's some problems with it off the line with the whole shot device not being able to cope with the Jagatis and all that. But Vinales didn't lose that many places. Vinales didn't go back eight places. Uh, Morbidelli didn't go back eight places. Rossi didn't go back eight places. Quarter or uh, Vinales did, and that you know that needs to be fixed. I genuinely thought he was a different guy this year. I thought he'd sort of buried some of his demons, and his head was a bit straighter this year. But whenever you see performances like that, you wonder. Now, I I spoke to Quarterao after the race about this and asked him if he felt like he was in a different place mentally this year, and he says he is. He says that the sort of the hubris of last year and winning the opening two races of last year are behind him. But the reality is, for me anyway, we just can't say Yamaha are going to win this championship until we see how they cope with a bad weekend. Because they have there hasn't been a weekend yet where Yamaha hasn't been performing. And until we see that and get a measure of where they're at, then it's just too early to tell. Like this is what Juan Mir did so well last year. When he had a bad weekend, he limited the damage. 
he did, he's already done it this year in Qatar. Until we see if Yamaha are able to do that, I don't think they're title contenders. But Yamaha do have bad weekends. I know what you're saying, and, and I'm not criticizing, but Yamaha do have bad weekends because the Patronus lot were nowhere in Qatar. Vinales was nowhere in Portugal. Uh, Quattararo, actually, he, he had too much of a wheelie on the start and he had to dip the clutch and sort of get going again. So his, his first start was pretty good, but he recovered and eventually he won the race. But they do have bad weekends, but because there's, there's always one of them that comes out smelling of roses. I think there's such a difference at the minute between the levels within the factory team and the Patronas team that we can't look at them as one manufacturer. I think we have to take those as two separate elements. That's something we can talk about a bit later in the podcast about what's going on at Patronas. But they are so far gone from the form that they had last year and the year before for whatever reason that it just seems, you know, they seem incomparable. And I honestly, I think the way it is currently, and I, I would have also said that, Maybe even after Vinales' first win, I'm not sure. I don't think Quartararo and Vinales are quite comfortable on uh, comparable on past records because this thing with Vinales, where he he starts so badly and then just goes missing for the opening laps. Like this race, he was what he got stuck behind Lorenzo Savadori and dropped like a second behind him too. I presume he got either frustrated that he wasn't able to pass him or just couldn't feel good on the on the high fuel bike. We've seen that before from Maverick. I think before so. Once qualifying played out and the, there was the Banyaya lap deletion and there was the Vinales lap deletion and we found out they would be uh, starting 11th and 12th, there was a joke in our work slack that after the opening lap, Banyaya will be 6th and Vinales will be 16th. The Banyaya part didn't quite work out. The Vinales part was even worse than we predicted. He went to the back and that's, you know, and from there he can't hunker down, he can't recover, whether it's mental, I don't know, I'm not, not his psychologist, it might be that he just still does not feel comfortable with high fuel at least fabio we we have more of a reference point to him being great on opening laps and i think that's what gives him the edge currently and that's what might make him the big yamaha hope for the title and why i personally believe that this might very well be his year whereas vinales i've just i've seen this before so ugh. i know simon i know val you you, you heard from vinales in his post-race debrief with the journos but what he said in the press release you know I don't know what the issue is yet, but for sure something was wrong. Well, sure as my ass points down, something was wrong because one bloke was at the front and the other bloke was at the back. And these guys, you know, I, I don't want to be, you know, journalist criticizing upstairs in press office, podcast, whatever. They're the best in the world and you can't have bad days. You've touched on it, Simon, about Mia. Your bad day's got to be a so-so day to win a championship because you can't, you can't break wind in this championship because you lose places, you know? We, we've seen it with uh, Andrea Davizioso. Like, Dovi came close to beating Marc Marquez, closer than anyone has come in the last five years. But when he had a bad day, he was like 12th at Phillip Island behind Alvaro Bautista in the same bike. And you just can't give away that much anymore in MotoGP. You know, it's, it's just not... As for what Maverick said after the race, like that's you could have taken that from any press release on any bad weekend for the last four years. I don't know what's mm -hmm. wrong. Ask yeah. Yamaha how to solve the problem. We don't know how to fix it. You can't do that as a... No, no. If that's what you're still saying after this length of time, change manufacturer, man, because you're not going to find yeah. the solution now. I mean, Vinales is always good for a win a season, two wins a season, maybe even three wins a season. He's 
in clean air, he's just the best. He's well, he's one of the quickest riders in motorsport. He's GP. the new Jorge Lorenzo. Yeah. So obviously, on a clear track. I know this is reactionary because you know he did win the opening race of the season, and maybe this is what keeps suckering in and him in, keeps convincing him to that still give Yamaha another chance because the the highs are so high, and it's what con it's convincing Yamaha to give him another chance. But I can't help but continue to be bewildered. Try the Ducati, man. It's, it launches so well off the line. You're going to be turn, you're going to lead into turn one. You're going to dominate like five, six races a season. That might be enough. It's not happening with the Yamaha right now. Why do you keep signing these huge two-year deals well in advance? It's not happening with the Duke either, Val. I s it might with Maverick. I believe it, it might. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 the problem is that there are, I do, there are times when I think he is a world-class rider. But then there's times where you think, what are you doing? Whereas, the, you, you know, you look at some of the guys at the Ducati, we'll pick on this later, but arguably there's at least one factory Ducati rider that you have to question whether or not they are at the 1% top level that they need. Let's caveat this, obviously, by saying that Maverick got really unlucky in qualifying and he should probably have been starting ahead of Fabio. And if he does, then the race probably plays out different. But I don't know how different it plays out because, again, that opening lap pace that he had... It just wasn't there. So maybe he would have finished seventh instead of 11th. I'm not sure. That's an, Only he will know. I hope he's honest with himself about that. And I hope hope one day we see Maverick who doesn't get lost like this. So let's... I, I said, sorry, Simon. I said, man, sorry, just one quick point to throw in. I have said it for quite some time that I believe Maverick is the inheritor to Danny Pedroza's title. And that's not a compliment. Mm. He's going to be the guy that can win races every year, come close and never do it. Mm. Not while he remains a Yamaha rider the same as Danny remained a Honda rider. Oh, I never thought of that. And that's not a good title to have, is it? But in the meantime, at Patronus, Morbidelli, here, so far this year, he's been 18th, 12th, but now 5th at the third race in 2021. Anything appearing from that garage so far this year as... Has, has been a, has been a struggle so he's done well so it certainly looks like at least with Morbidelli in Portugal it looks like they've paid the full membership of the Yamaha club at the moment for whatever reason it still sounds like that's not a happy camp which is strange because it has been such a happy camp since they turned up in MotoGP for some reason and I don't know what it is I can't quite find the answers to it it just things just haven't clicked this year and and no one has changed really apart from the guy on the other side of the garage and a couple of his crew but you'd think having frankie's best mate and father figure on the other side of the garage would make things happier not you know not not worse and it genuinely does seem to be like a happiness issue like people just aren't comfortable with each other the way they used to be in that team and and as a result nothing's working the same way it's really really bizarre but you know, I don't know how you fix that. I, it's going to take probably serious work away from the track to fix it. And I'm not sure if one result from Orbidelli at Portimao with a load of crashes in front of him is actually a true indication that anything is fixed. I don't think that result actually says, yeah, no, we're okay now. Let's go and win some more races. I think there's, you know, it's twofold. Obviously, there, there might also be some just internal issues in the garage. But beyond that... There's a situation with Morbidelli where his package is growing more and more outdated by the day, presumably. I don't have the specs, but that, that would make sense. And I think there was a there was an interview in, in Hebrew, I want to say, or at least published in Hebrew by Tammy Gorali, I think, that was 
Uh, I had to Google Translate where he basically acknowledges that it, it's a bummer that the contract he, you know, he had to, the deal that he had to agree was and the deals that were agreed so early last year didn't reflect how good his 2020 was. And that has to, that has to play in his mind, I guess. There's one thing to remember about his deal. Um, MotoGP is a ruthless business. Like, let's never mistake that. The guy that negotiated his deal was not necessarily negotiating in, in Franco Morbidelli's best interests because Franco Morbidelli's management is Valentino Rossi. And if there's one factory bike going to Petronas Yamaha, Valentino Rossi wants it. Yeah, and and it, right now he does not warrant it. That much is clear. Well, yeah, right that's now, that's from, true. Yeah, from the from the from the season we've seen so far from Rossi, there has been no tangible improvement. From I've seen honestly nothing that's in any way, shape, or form better than how he ended last year. Um, this there was no pace in Portimao, really. For being honest, there was no pace, particular in Qatar. I'm not sure this is reversible. I guess we'll find out, but uh, it's 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 a bit rough to watch. It's also, I mean, he doesn't need like our pity or anything, and we don't need to get you know overblown with criticism because it's not like the Yamahas work consistently well. But uh, Yamaha should not if they should not lose Franco Morbidelli because they're having to satisfy. Valentino Rossi with a factory spec bike that his performances do not warrant. And I hope there's a realization of that. Yeah, but here and now, Morbidelli scored more points than Valentino because Valentino has crashed out. Uh, sorry, he's only scored once and four points at that out of three Grand Prix so far this year. He crashed at a difficult corner in Portugal. It's difficult on the front. It really gets murdered through there. And of course, it's a painful thing to see. But it seems that Valentino has got the worst of the Yamaha gremlins for 2021. He's not slow all of a sudden. Fourth on the grid at Qatar shows just as such. But it's obviously not right in some way. Um, the, uh, the good thing is going forward that the tracks that are coming up are better for him on a history basis and on paper. And I actually, I did giggle because he gave the most amusing quote of the weekend when he said, quote, it was strange passing a bike with VR46 on, let alone my brother. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth in Qatar, we always have to caveat that that was in the in the toe of Banyaya, who was the quickest guy there. So that was a you know that's a huge asterisk in my opinion. Doesn't mean that it was a bad lap, and it doesn't mean that he wasn't capable of at least you know a decent decent grid position. That flatters it certainly. Equally, I think the fact that he's struggling so much in the other qualifiers and he's struggling over one lap pace is really is hurting him in in terms of race pace because I don't think he's as far off the the other Yamahas on race trim, obviously. But it's not, you know, he's not a, a 19-year-old rookie. Like, how, how much time does Valentino Rossi need to string together a consistent run of form? It's been, it's been a while now. I, what will a reversal even look like at this point? Let me tell you how long it's been, Val. The, the most painful stat that I've heard from the weekend. Out of the last nine races, Valentino Rossi has scored 12 points. For some reason, we, we've kind of, because of the, the winter break and, and the start of a new season and the switch to Patronus, I think there's been a bit of a, a mental shift where we've not actually realized that this isn't a bad run of form that's just limited to this season. This goes back to the middle of last year. And I know he missed a few races because of COVID and all that, but he was crashing his brains out before he missed races because of COVID. Like The reality is that I, I genuinely do think we're watching a decline and it's coming at a rapid rate, you know, like 
12 points from nine races. Mark Marquez scored nine points with a dodgy arm on Sunday. And those, those 12 yeah. points are all like 12th place finishes, aren't they? Like every single yeah, one. Exactly. Of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, has, yeah. there hasn't been a good result since Herath last year in the podium. Not a result to get excited about. And that came because two guys in front of him blew up and crashed and whatever. I thought about this before we pressed record on the microphone and that it's such a difficult time to to retire um, when you read the history books you know let's not talk about us but when you read these professional sportsmen I listened to a podcast the other day about Damon Hill and he said I hated the last year I hated everything I couldn't win I, I, I wanted to stop on the Sunday afternoon when I crossed the line at Woodcut Corner at Silverstone. Get out the car, walk away. And that then caused me to remember that James Hunt, he put it into the barrier at Monaco, jumped out, went to the bar, never put a helmet on ever again. It's quite romantic. It's a bit boy's own. It's a bit cool. It's a bit hip. Corporations, big money, deals. It's very different nowadays. We did we did remember Simon laugh and joke, but in a serious way that, oh, he could win Mugello, win Mizalo say I'm retiring and never drive the bloody thing ever again. But at the moment, he ain't even going to be in the top 10, let alone even on the podium to, to wave goodbye to his Tifosi. And it's just a bit of a shame, isn't it? And I, nobody likes seeing it. Is that what you I think? The question is, does he, does he keep struggling on in the hopes that things get better and that there's something to celebrate before he walks away? Or does he just realise you know, that things aren't going to get better and call it quits. Like, what does he do? But the reality is that decision is probably going to come in the next few months. And right now, based on what we've seen, this is Valentino Rossi's last season. However, people coming up from Italy are people like uh, Peco Bagnaia, 11th on the grid, second in the Grand Prix. For me, he's one of the standout riders, if not the standout rider for 2021 so far. Um, close one between himself, Zarco, and Jorge Martin, but at least he's one of the top standouts. Would, should he have won without that qualifying nonsense and being bumped? Was it nonsense? Short answers, please. <laughs> it wasn't nonsense. That's a straightforward answer straight away. He ignored a yellow flag. According to Alicia Spagaro, it was not the first time this weekend he ignored a yellow flag. The problem is the yellow flag rule needs changed because right now there's no cumulative punishment, which is, you know, then defeats the purpose. If you're only going to lose a lap for going too fast, then eventually everyone's going to keep going fast and someone's going to chuck a bike into a gravel trap and hit a marshal. So it needs to stop. And the way to stop it is that second offense is back of the grid. Third offense is pit lane start. Fourth offense, see you next week. As far as I'm concerned, that's the only way to fix that problem. Uh, I don't think he would have won the race without the penalty anyway. I think uh, from what we saw of how both Vinales and Quattararo won races in Qatar whenever they were on form, that they were always going to win that race because, let's be honest, if Yamaha could power past a bunch of factory Ducatis and win the race on that straight in LaSalle, they could sure as hell do it at Portimao. So I, I don't think it changed the result. Um, in saying that, he has been really, really impressive. He has really clicked with that bike this year. Uh, he has he has stepped up his game, which I, I'll i be honest, I had doubts that if he'd be able to do that, but he's impressed me by doing it. Yeah, I can. I think I can sign under both of those that I also think it was absolutely fair game that he, he lost the pole position. Great lap though, but what can you do? And I also think that probably 
P2 was the ideal result and he got it. But that said, I was I was super impressed with Peko and the, the, the key factor why is... Uh, he did not make use of the one of the Ducati's main strength. He was he did not move up from his grid position much at the start. I think he actually lost a position or something like that. And he just methodically worked his way through the pack till he was second on merit. And it was it's phenomenal. And it it it's honestly so far this season my standout, the guy who's performing the most above expectations for me, that will be Pat Kobanyaya, who looks every bit the Ducati team leader that I think. Some people at Ducati may have dreamed him to be in two or three years' time, but suddenly he's sort of basically delivering every weekend, and I no longer feel terrible about the column I wrote last year when I said that Ducati was right to forget about Dovicioso and just replace it with replace him with Bagnaia and that it was going to pay off, and then Bagnaia went on a terrible run of form and I looked like, a, like an idiot. Now it's sort of, you know, it's swinging the other way. So pretty happy about that. And, you know, Miller, the de facto leader at Ducati coming into this season, he's come away so far with two ninths from three races. He is getting his backside handed to him. Right now, Jack Miller is the MotoGP rider at most risk of losing their seat for next season. Because there are fast kids all the way through the Ducati, set up through two other sets of teams below him, uh, including Johan Zarco, including Jorge Martin. And Jack is just not performing. For whatever reason, it's just not there. Like Sunday's crash was a rookie error. The guy is now a MotoGP veteran, despite being quite young. He is the, the Ducati team leader. He is Andrea Davizioso's replacement. And he pulled too much brake in the front car and front brake in a corner and tucked the front. Like, come on. Second at this Grand Prix in November. Yeah. On a Pramac bike with no pressure. Maybe it's the pre- maybe you've answered it just there with no pressure. Maybe he likes to be the underdog. You know, some people work best that way. That's Bam. an Aussie trait. Maybe, uh, yeah. I'd I'd like to dispute the most under pressures. I don't think he's quite in the Lorenzo Salvadori or Ricker Lequona territory just yet. I know you're hyperbolic. I'm just picking picking on things, but uh, at the same time, it is also. What is fascinating is that, first of all, we saw a lot of humility in Jack after his crash in Portimao. I think he sort of tried to shrug off the too bad Qatar results as being circumstantial and maybe there wasn't such a case in Portimao where he was like, yeah, this is clearly a rut. Something needs to, I need to do something about this because this is clearly a problem. And yet at the same time, he was also insistent that the pace was good and he has the data i don't not all of it anyway i have some of the data but obviously not not all of the all of the specifics he insisted that he feels good on the bike and that the speed is there honestly i've just i've not seen it in the even in the practice session so much really banyai just looks quicker in fp4s banyai looks quicker in qualifyings banyai looks quicker in the races even before things happen i mean jack wasn't leading that Portimao race at the start, he slipped to sixth behind Aleish and he was trying to get, get back past Aleish. Would he have finished ahead of Banyaya? I, I mean, we'll never know, but I'm not I'm not convinced at all. And his, uh, he's not looked so strong in FP4 recently. And I think there's maybe something fundamental that needs addressing, some loss of speed. 
but I'm, I'm not sure he agrees and I guess we'll, we'll see which one is right. There is one thing I'll just throw in there about uh, riders being at risk. The difference in Iker Lacona and Jack Miller is that Iker Lacona's boss is Hervé Poncherao who will stick by his man and Jack Miller's boss is Claudio Domenicali, a man with history of sacking off riders halfway through the season a la Jorge Lorenzo and Andrea Di Vizioso. And the bloke who's doing best on a red Italian Ducati is an Italian. That's it. Yeah. It's done. It's done. No matter their memories of a Fogarty or a Bayliss, it's an Italian yeah. that they want. They, they are, they, they're a mercenary team as well. It's, yeah, that is the way things work there. If Domenicali didn't have a Twitter account, Jack, uh, Jorge Lorenzo would be a Ducati world champion right now. Johan Zarco, championship leader coming into the race. He <laughs> fell, he got the wrong gear. He saw on the data that the gearbox had played up. You don't often hear that, but that's what they said. Losing the championship lead, very painful. He's still there on 40 points to Quattararo, 61. We've got a long way to go, but seeing a championship leader in the gravel, never good. Never good. Yeah. For me, Zarko wasn't a true championship leader. Uh, I still think Ooh, I still think you have to be a factory by, factory rider to win a MotoGP championship. I think that that's the reality. And we have seen guys at the start of the season take the championship lead briefly on satellite bikes. Cal Crutchlow did it after winning in Argentina a few years ago, for example. But in the long term, whenever everything plays out at the end of the year, it's always a factory bike on top. And I, I just... For me, Zarco, fantastic opening two races, excellent performance on Sunday, small mistake that, that messed him up. But I don't think he was a title contender anyway. Yeah, I don't I don't think this has to be like a knock on Zarco. I agree, just you know, it's not how MotoGP tends to work. And he can which is the reason I guess why he doesn't have to feel so downbeat about about the crash or about if it was a technical problem about the technical problem. Ultimately this season's going to be about proving to Ducati that he should be on one of the the really red bikes next year and so far in the Miller seat yeah so far he's been doing an excellent job he's looked great I've I've been really really impressed and the the Portimao crash doesn't doesn't change any of that yeah. for me, and at the end of the day Francesco Guidotti runs a good team but they're a small team the budget is reduced and all he wants this year is Zarco to win him a race you know that's that's it Ducati are one of the very few manufacturers now that have never won a satellite race it's a huge missing piece Pramac have come so close so many times and have been denied I, and for me you know if, if Zarko wins the Maris that's it he's Pramac royalty for the rest of his life that's all he needs Jorge Martin huge crash on Saturday morning uh, big big ragdoll through the gravel winded beyond all comprehension it took two minutes and ten seconds to throw the red flag Four minutes and ten seconds for the medical crews to reach him. I'll leave that there. When do we think Jorge Martin might return? Uh, I think we won't see him in Jerez, but most likely we will see him the race after in Le Mans. Um, he is a tough little bugger. Um, we've seen this before in the past. He takes knocks, he takes big injuries, and he just gets on with it, gets back in the bike very, very quickly. Um, you know, he's properly, properly went through the wars his uh, Moto3 championship winning year. Um, he had all sorts of injuries. I remember him uh, missing sessions at Thailand because uh, the Clinica Mobile massage therapist had a nerve and he lost all feeling in his arm for a day. And, you know, 
he's at all sorts and he, he just gets on with it. Um he's a he's a real he's a real tough kid. He's a real trier and I, I can't see it being a, a huge delay. I should say, you know, there was a bit of a discussion point about the the T V coverage of the of the Martin crash. Obviously, some of the riders weren't too thrilled. Quartararo was pretty publicly called it not great. And I think what disturbed me personally is not so much even seeing the crash, although I think they maybe jumped the gun a little bit on seeing that he was conscious and sort of moving about in the gravel and being like, okay, it's okay to show. And I think that was maybe a bit of a misstep. But more is just, I did not like watching Jorge Martin on his elbows and knees in the gravel trying to regain breath i guess trying to trying to i don't know if he was trying to get up or just trying to to catch his breath i don't think he managed to get up he was stretchered away so i, I didn't like seeing that i think that was a bit of a a bit of a misstep i'm glad it's not as bad as it maybe could have been just two quick points to throw out there um for one just to pick up on what you said toby i got a text message from a clark of course very quickly after the incident to say, I see that the switch for the red lights on the new LED light panels they've installed trackside this weekend are in the same cupboard as the red flags and they've still lost the key. And uh, yeah, exactly what Val said, like we just don't need to see that coverage. We don't need to see it looped back and back again, especially when there is history in MotoGP of slightly confused information. And as you will know, Toby, a rider's status being put on screen as conscious and okay whenever it subsequently turned out to be a fatal crash. So personally, I'd just rather not see it, thanks. And I think quite a few riders agree because they're all sitting in the pit boxes with six monitors showing it around them. And a TV camera stuck in their face to see the response to them seeing it. Mark Marquez took to a MotoGP racetrack for the first time since July last year. Um, wow. Wow. I mean... <laughs> In the race, he was faster than the leading Honda last November at the racetrack. I thought he was going to lead on the first lap. I actually shouted off the sofa towards the television in the corner of the room, go on, lead the race, go on, you can do it. I genuinely thought he did. He got back to the garage. He burst into tears. It was a relief at realising that he could still do it. I thought it was a great little story. Yeah, it was a, a lovely human redemption story wasn't it it was a real return return whenever he thought that might not be possible uh there was proper emotion which is not something we see very often from mark marquez you know he was almost apologetic after the race in his debrief that he'd cried um like that's how close the guy normally is so it, it was actually really nice to see um it was very 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 impressive like let's not get away from that he did a, a very impressive thing um I, the, the the issue for me is I just don't really know how much to take from it in terms of his recovery, his level, what we're going to see for the rest of the year, because it didn't look like he was holding anything back. It looked like he gave it his absolute all to finish seventh. Uh, and I don't know what that means. You know, I don't know how long it's going to take before we see him given his absolute all to finish fourth, for example, whether or not that's going to take two weeks to Hareth or whether or not that's going to take two months. Yeah, I, I think ultimately I may have expected too much, not necessarily from him, but from his fitness level. I did sort of expect a finish from P6 to P10 or something like that, but I, I just I thought it would be a bit easier. It did not look easy. The single lap base was sort of there, but maybe not quite full and... 
in in the race he clearly had to had to suffer a bit that's not to take anything away obviously that's a question of my expectations rather than 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 what he managed and i have to say um they've been so guarded about his recovery and maybe understandably so if i had something like that happen i wouldn't really want a lot of media talk and speculation about it uh i have to say seeing him in the i think MotoGP uploaded a the zone uh, spanish interview where he so was interviewed immediately after the race and like a, a minute after questioning he just well he didn't break down in tears but he basically started tearing up and when that happened i think it, for the first time it fully hit me just how tough a time he's been through and yeah i'm i'm, I'm glad he's back really glad he's back yeah i mean he, he touched on it elsewhere over the weekend whether or not it was sunday night or somewhere you know you know, there's been times when he didn't know if he was even going to be back. So when you've been to those places, when you've when you've put your whole life towards something and you're still 28, forgive me, Simon, I should know this, under 30, and then somebody says, oh, no, 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 you can't do that for the rest of your life. You're not even, even a third of the way through your life and somebody cuts off what you're good at and you're one of the best ever. So... There's been the odd night he's gone to bed going, will I ever ride a bike again? Will it work? Will I have a funny arm or whatever? But he did it, and that was a relief. Lorenzo did the same at Assen when he looped it on the Friday, operated, came back on Sunday, got top 10, and it was a relief. I can do this. I can do this. He said, did Mark, I suffered a lot. I didn't enjoy today's race, but he did once he got to the got back to the garage. Yeah, step by step. The, the problem is that, uh, so he, he admitted on Sunday that the doctor's orders now is that he's, because the bone is still healing, he's not allowed to ride a motorbike, apart from on race weekends. That's the terms and conditions of being allowed to race again. So the problem is he's now going to do nothing but work out in the gym between now and the next race, which means that whole progression, the recovery, the continuing improvement of his bike fitness isn't really going to come apart from when he's riding a MotoGP bike, which is going to make this, I think, a pretty slow process. Mm. It's too late come Friday morning because all the others have been doing motocross or supermoto or whatever all week. You, you've, you've got to be on it. You've got to be on it. Yeah. Um, what happened to Paul? I can't find out what happened to Paul. Rear brake failure. No rear brake straight off the line. Well, no, he wasn't quite clear whether it was no rear brake or whether it was a sticking rear brake, which is yeah. probably worse, let's be honest. But yeah, rear brake failure, which is a big enough admission for Honda. They don't, you know, the, the official line up until Paul gave it away in his debrief was technical failure. Hmm. Yeah, some work to do there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Juan Mir, uh, fantastic battle for that third position, fighting it uh, with, uh, with Banyaya over those closing laps. Uh, good to see that uh, Enrique, or was it Sergi, who was doing the TV direction, was focusing on the battle for second, and we almost missed Quattararo crossing the line to win the Grand Prix itself. Um, how times changed, the amount of discussions I used to have with the TV crew on a Sunday night. Why didn't you have a split screen? Why didn't we see both battles? But anyway, that's another story. But great to see Mia back up there. Uh, Almost a bit of the invisible bike on the TV coverage. Didn't see much of him. I felt as if the focus was elsewhere for obvious reasons. There were two people ahead of him, but he's in the hunt. That'll do nicely. Yeah, I think that was that was textbook from one mayor. It's not a Suzuki track. It's not somewhere they expected to have any really easy time. Just like Qatar wasn't, but he came out of it with with a a result that's better than expectations with good points in the bag, keeping the gap closed to the people in front of him in the championship. Yeah, I think we'll see a very, very different 
if we don't see a different result, I should say, in Hareth, a track that they should go well at, then it's time to start wondering about whether or not he can defend that championship. But right now, perfectly under control. And he did it all without a crew chief. Without his crew chief, I should say, with Frankie Karshetti sitting back in Andorra in uh, Juan's house, I think, ironically, watching on TV. But you know, Tom O'Kane's no, no mug, obviously. No, yeah, of yeah. course, but he's not the guy that he has a relationship yeah, with. That's fair. I should say he's not the guy that he doesn't have to tell things to because he knows. Yeah. I, I should say I I I'm not like doubting uh, Mir's title credentials at this point. There's no reason to. He's had a very reasonable start to the year, but oh man, that qualifying is is really worrying because he's had to fight through Q1 all three times now. And okay, it's it's looked reasonably comfortable each time, I guess maybe, but. One of these days it's going to bite, and when it bites, the recovery is going to, you know, the recovery through the field on Sunday is going to get complicated. And I've just, I don't know, that that might be, it's not as big an Achilles heel as what the Yamaha has with the start, but it's still it's still a problem, clearly. And Rins seems to be getting more out of the out of the bike over one lap, too, only to then end up on the on the ground on Sunday, obviously. Yeah, I was, that was the, my next <laughs> line is, is just that, Val, should Rins, with hindsight, of which we all, of course, have a PhD, should he have settled for second position? But there's a problem with that. It's not the first time that that question has been asked of Alex Rins. It's it's kind of the Rins trait getting to the lead and crashing. And it's, it's not the first time the answer has been yes. Yes, he should have. He yeah. should have yeah. And in and his defence, in the second race in Qatar, I thought he had learned his lesson because he did settle. He took that good fourth place by just realising he wasn't going to get any further and, and, and being a roadblock to the guys behind him. It was perfect. Um, I thought, hoped that it sunk in a bit more than it had. But he did win one of the most exciting Grand Prix and the last corners of a Grand Prix that I've ever seen. And I've seen a few. Silverstone 2019, when he went around the outside of Mark Marquez. 19. What a boy. What a boy. Yeah, that was pretty That's special. it. That's it. You that know, and Texas special. as well. What a ride. <laughs> he can do it, but he can drop it. He's a special rider, but the yeah. thing is, he doesn't want to end up being known as a special rider who's pretty special on some days and then doesn't win a championship in Moto3, Moto2 or MotoGP. Uh, so. He said something really interesting in his debrief Sunday after the race, actually. Someone asked him about his title credentials. And he said, well, I don't really know why any of the other riders never tip me for the title. And I kind of wanted to say, well, Alex, it's because you keep crashing out of the lead, mate. Like, <laughs> you know, if you stopped doing that, you would be a title contender. Because those two races that he crashed out of the lead last year, if he'd finished them, he would have won the championship. Yeah, yeah. there's a bit of if my aunt had balls <laughs> in that statement. But I hear what you say. Yeah. There is, but he was leading two races and he lost the championship by less than 50 yeah, points. True so. enough, true enough. Uh, Aprilia, Alasia Spargaro has out-qualified both Suzuki's, so two Suzuki's to one Aprilia, at every, at every juncture bar one, which was Rins getting second on the grid in Portugal. But Alex, uh, Alasia Spargaro has out-qualified Mir at every juncture. So, you know, close to the win again were Aprilia. Sixth shows again how competitive it all is. Will that encourage Andrea De Vizioso to get on the bike and they all kiss and make up and they get on with it? First thing I'll say, if Alessio Spigao does not get a podium for Aprilia this year, I will eat someone's hat because it's, it's so crime. close. It's yeah. right there now for the taking and it will eventually <laughs> come. And I really hope it does because... So I did an interview with Massimo Rivolo, the Aprilia boss in, her, in Qatar. 
And he said that the difference he sees in Aleish and every other writer is that Aleish is the only writer he's ever worked with who gives 100% in every single session that he goes out in FP3 to win the world championship and that other writers just don't <laughs> do that. And just for that alone, the guy deserves a bit of a bit of a good time, a bit of a nice reward back for it. And, you know, a podium would do that. On the Dovey front, I think the only way that we'll see... So Dovey's entire ambition in life, everything he's working for right now is a 2022 MotoGP seat, right? That's all he wants. He wants to be back in the grid next year as a full-time rider. He doesn't want to be Stefan Bradl or Cal Crutchlow or Michele Perro. He wants to be a racer. So the only way we'll see him race this year is if he does another test at Mugello next month, which he is going to do, if that test goes well enough that he thinks that that bike is a contender, and if he then signs a contract for Aprilia for 2022. If he's an Aprilia contracted racer for 2022, then of course he'll do wildcards this year because it's six free weekends of testing. Why wouldn't you do it? Why wouldn't they put him on Salvadori's bike and do a load of 15 more tests? That is the other option, but the ball is in Dovi's court here. This needs to be his decision. Aprilia will never tell him what to do. He's far too stubborn for that. I mean, we heard from Dovi after the test, and he was very, he was guarded about the bike, but he was even more guarded about any prospects of riding it in, in, in race trim in the future, which to me suggests, honest, I can't read in anything into his motivation into whether he will want to ride that Aprilian race trim in the future into whether he saw enough from the RSGP. But my feeling was that this is a guy who's like, okay, his bike is pretty good, but I'm not going to tip my hand to anybody in any way. Make me an offer. Show me show me the money yeah. and then we'll talk. Yeah. And that, yeah. to me, that's sort of what, that's how I see Dovi in, in many ways. Not a mercenary, but a, a guy who is very keenly aware of his value and does not want to go below market market value. For the, for the longest part of his career, until he out of nowhere became a title contender for three seasons, Dovey was a journeyman rider. He was a guy that went from place to place looking for good deals and made a good living out of it and a good career out of it. And I don't think he's ever really lost that mindset. I think he's still got a bit of that mentality to him. I mentioned it maybe last time is there's a bigger picture to this and it's not just Davizioso, Tech 3, Yam, Repsol, Honda, whatever scott honda all those years ago it's they need as good as elaish is somebody even better and there's somebody on a palate he even speaks the same language he knows all the dirty jokes in italian he knows everything if dawna are having a good time and carmelo's not stupid on business let's get that clear you know he didn't fall off a christmas tree but can Dorna chip in to keep Aprilia boiling, to keep them up, to the, and then the ball gets rolling and the snowball gets bigger, and it's a bigger thing for next year, the year after, the year after. And then they are championship contenders, podium people, race winners, etc. Get him on the bike. Uh, there was one time that Dovi jokingly called me an idiot in a, in a media debrief, and after what, I, what I'm about to say, the next time won't be a joke from him, but he's just too old. He's not. I. I. He's not going to win the, the title on that Aprilia, and I think the lack of the lack of faith from Ducati and from Gigi Delini, and the fact that I don't think Ducati is much worse off having shedded him for Pecco, uh, to me that that says I think the train has left the station. So yeah, fair comment. Fair comment. Uh, and 
and the thing is, we are assuming that the ball's in Dovey's court right now because we know that Aprilia do want him. But if it comes down to the wire and you're Massimo Rivola, who makes more sense for your brand's longer-term plans? Andrea Davizioso at 36 years old or, say, Moto2 World Championship contender Marcos Bezzecchi or even, even a recently disgruntled and looking for a better option, Franco Morbidelli. You're all absolutely right. But here and now, middle of April 2021, he's available. And even if you just use and abuse him at Mugello, use and abuse him for, for to, to get rid of Savadori, lovely bloke, tick the all that, makes lovely pasta with his mama, but they they they've got somebody available who's got huge experience who will who will might just give it another three tenths of a second. And that's all you need. Two, two little things just to chuck out there, actually, on that note. For one, just to prove how mercenary MotoGP is, I discovered that the bridge that linked Dovi to Aprilia, the sort of first step of the negotiations, was actually Lorenzo Salvadori, because he's mates with Dovi, which just shows how brutal this all is. But secondly, uh, I did hear over the weekend rumours of lap times from Jerez, and apparently Dovi was doing 38s, which is like a second off pole position. That's a good sign. So get him on the bike. <laughs> He's sat at home. <laughs> so we know which camp Toby's in. <laughs> well, I am. I am. I just, I just, I just want to see people that are still current in sport have an opportunity. I think. I know he's thirty-six. I know he's at the the, the other end of the wedge. I know he's not going to risk it on a wet Friday morning in Assen when it's flipping five degrees and horrible. I get that. I get that. But he's just an opportunity for the here and the now. Next year might be a different kettle of fish if they put Bezeki in. Whoever, more money, don't know what. But I just think it's a bit of a waste of talent that he's sat at home at the moment. Uh, I've just Googled and apparently he's 35, not 36, so that changes everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I should I should say what I said previously does not mean that I I don't want Dovi on the bike. I don't want Dovi back in MotoGP. He's a super bright, super interesting guy who is great on Sundays and who livens up MotoGP with his presence. But it can't be at any cost for Aprilia. And there's 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 a scenario in which finding somebody young and molding them into what you want, whether it's be Bezeki, whether it be Digian Antonio, whether it's poaching Morbidelli from Yamaha, all of those might be preferable options in terms of both budget and future results. You know, get the best people available in the job no matter if you're building a plastics factory in swindon or you're running a motor gp team get the best people available and get them in i wonder if the input that crutchlow has given yamaha is reflected in them winning the first three grand prix this year it's it's all a bit unknown except to half a dozen Cal engineers thinks it? it is oh, absolutely crutchlow thinks it is <laughs> he's been busy he's been busy telling me that he thinks it is <laughs> There is one thing at Aprilia, just before we leave that subject, that might change this whole dynamic, though. And that's whether or not we discover if they're going to have a satellite team. Because if you suddenly have a satellite team that you're going to run on the way KTM run Tech 3 with factory machinery, and you can drop your rookies into that team... It's a perfect fit. Then that changes everything. It's an absolutely perfect fit. Let's see how they get on. Um, how does Miguel Oliveira go from dominating last year to struggling this year? Um... You were there. 
he knows exactly how. Uh, he says it's entirely Michelin's fault. He blamed the black and round things. Um, Michelin had a tyre last year in the allocation, which was a hard tyre, but it was uh, confusingly codenamed the S, which he won two races on, which no one else liked. Apparently, according to Michelin, they told us that 21 riders hated it and one loved it. Wonder who the one might have been. Uh, and that they, so because of that, they took it away for this year. They scrapped it completely. It doesn't exist anymore. He went to put him out this weekend and he couldn't make the other tire work because it wasn't hard enough. Now, what we've since learned is that someone's telling Porky's because at least three other riders have come out very strongly and said, no, 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 no. We really liked it. And we would really love it back. And we don't know why they got rid of it. The problem is that's not going to change this year. The allocation is the allocation and Miguel Oliveira can complain all he wants and probably pay all he needs to pay in fines to Michelin the more and more loud his complaints get about it. But, you know, the, the matter of fact is that's why he's struggling, but Monin isn't going to change it. Getting on with it is. And, and to make things worse for him, it looks like Brad Binder did just that Sunday's race. Fight back of the race after Banyar, wasn't it, yeah. for uh, for Brad yeah. Binder? What a great run, a real... In fact, for me, it was actually a better fight back than Bagnaya because Bagnaya looked like he had pace going into the race. Binder never did. Yeah, 15th on the grid, finished fifth. You know, uh, brilliant. Another few laps, he'd be on the podium, wouldn't he? Um, 100%, but... yeah. Two more laps and he would have done it. Yeah, yeah. A, a great run from him. A great run from him. Whew! That was Portugal. That was Portugal. Um, what a uh, what a season it's all shaking out to be. Championship at the moment. Fabio Quattararo leading from Francesco Bagnaia from Maverick Vinales in third. Zarco now fourth ahead of the reigning MotoGP world champion, Juan Mir. Alacious Bargaro in sixth in the world championship on an Aprilia. I'll leave you with that one. In the meantime, we've got a weekend without MotoGP before we reconvene at Jerez, a circuit that Fabio Quattararo uh, dominated at last year, and he's certainly looking forward to getting back to in 2021. Keep in touch with the-race.com for all of your MotoGP and Formula One news as we progress into the spring and then the summer of 2021. Thank you for tuning in. Do like and subscribe. In the meantime, from Val, Simon and myself, Toby, we'll speak to you soon. We'll be racing again soon. Bye for now. Bye.